Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. I'd like to read you a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18, starting from verse 9. It says, He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So Jesus was talking. Do you remember Jesus knew what was in people's hearts? The Bible tells us he he could see beyond the outer facade and he often knew what was going on. And he knew that some people thought they were righteous. What does Jesus do with people like that? Well, let's listen to this parable. He says two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Interesting, praise with himself. He thinks he's talking to God, but actually he's really just talking to himself. God doesn't listen to these kind of prayers. It says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I wonder if we sometimes feel that. We, we may not say it out loud, but sometimes we think, oh, I'm better than those types and these ones and those other ones. Thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He was a good man. I think we would have been glad to have someone like this in our church. In fact, maybe I and you are a bit like this man. We think, man, I've done it, Lord. Look at all these good things that I've done. But then Jesus goes on to say, And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I want to talk today about how Jesus treated people who thought they were righteous. There's only a few examples in the Bible. There's a lawyer, there's a rich man, and there's Pharisees uh, who came to him thinking they had it all together. The lawyer was a clever man. He thought he could work everything out. He thought by his own cleverness, he could say, this is what the law means, and I can argue my way through this. I can say this is what is right and what is wrong, and I I can work myself into being righteous. The rich man thought it was his own ability or his richness or his background, whatever it was, but he thought he was a good man within himself. And the Pharisees thought they were good simply because they were religious. They, they did a lot of rituals and, and they did the, rich, uh, the Pharisee things like this man in this parable. I wonder if you've ever heard of a barium meal. Have you heard of a barium meal? Uh, a relative of mine had throat cancer and they wanted to find out what was going on in her throat. So they asked her to have a barium meal and they x-ray you while you're swallowing this stuff called barium. And what happens is the barium comes up on the x-ray and it just shows exactly what's going on in all the tubes and pipes in your your digestive tract because it reacts to the x-rays. Whereas normally an x-ray can only show you bones and, and hard things in your body. So you take this barium meal and the purpose of the barium meal is to show you where you are sick. And I want to say that the law, the, the Old Testament law, you know, God's Ten Commandments and then the 600 odd other commandments that exist in the Old Testament where God says, you shall do this. You shall not do this. If you do this, you must be put to death. If you do this, this will happen. The purpose of those laws 
is like a barium meal. Romans 3 and verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The purpose of the law is to show us that we're not all that we thought we were, to show us that we're not as good as we thought we were. If we think we're healthy, we take a barium meal called the law, and it shows us there's a problem there, there's a problem there, there's a problem there. And that's what Jesus did with these people. He used the law to reveal their hearts. And I'm going to show you from these stories how he did that. But I just want to say right at the start that the problem comes using the law to, to expose that there's a, there's a sickness in our life, to expose that we need help and healing and grace and forgiveness is wonderful and good. Taking a barium meal to show that you have something wrong that needs healing is very, very useful. The problem comes, and it, it's a constant problem, not just in today's Christianity, but it was there in the Bible as well, especially the book of Galatians, but many, many of the other books in the New Testament. The problem comes when people think that the barium meal is the medicine. What do I mean by that? I mean, we take the law and we say, wow, okay, I need some help. I need some healing. It shows me that I've got a sickness here. I've got a problem there. I'm not lining up with God's law. But then the medicine of the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of Jesus dying on the cross for us is what we should take. But some of us, many of us, and I include myself at times in my life, we take more of the barium meal, more of the law to try and fix the problem. We say, well, I must just get more rules and more laws and I must just make myself better and, and try harder to obey. And so we put more and more and more laws and rules and regulations on ourselves to try and heal ourselves. And it's as silly as a person taking more and more barium, trying to cure a problem in their digestive system. The barium cannot cure. We read in Romans 3 verse 20, no one can be justified by trying to obey the law. It is impossible. It is powerless to cure us. The law just reveals the problem. The purpose of the law is to say there is an issue and then we need to take the grace of God to heal us. So let's read the first story. It's in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Uh, a lawyer comes to Jesus. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus sees into this man's heart and it says, Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Jesus is taking out the barium meal and he's saying, Swallow this. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. What was Jesus doing? He was trying to say, take the berry meal. Have you really loved your neighbor? Have you really loved God? Can you really say that you've lived up to this? But he, in verse 29, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? So this is what good lawyers do. They say the fine print of the law says this. If I use this law and this law, then I can 
put them together and justify that this is okay. And actually the letter of the law doesn't really mean that. And if I, if I use this word correctly, I can make it mean that. It's almost like somebody saying, how close can I get? Imagine you were driving a car, you were going for your driving test uh, to get your driver's license. And you thought you could impress the examiner by showing how close you could come to having an accident without actually having the accident. That's what this lawyer was trying to do. He was saying, but who's my neighbor? How close can I get in sin, almost sinning, before I haven't actually sinned? Let me try and wheedle my way out of this. Let me argue using my intellect to say what is right and what is wrong. Have you ever done that? I know that I have. I know that I find myself slipping into this trap of justifying myself by arguing. That doesn't really mean that. That doesn't really mean that. Actually, what we should do is not see how close we can drive to an accident, but show how far we can stay away from accidents. And that's what Jesus did here. The man was basically saying, I want to define neighbor. Maybe it's people who live next door to me or across the road from me. If I love them, then I've loved my neighbor as myself, but certainly not the person on the other side of, of town and certainly not those horrible, evil Samaritans or those other different people. Those I mustn't love. And Jesus told him a parable. He said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, was stripped of his clothing. They wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. A priest came down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A Levite, when he saw him, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Jesus was pressing the point home and saying the law is not just the letter of the law. It's not just what you can get away with. It's the spirit behind the law. Everyone is your neighbor. Try and find neighbors to make to to find people you can love rather than trying to find people you can exclude from loving. And the law pierced into this lawyer's heart. We're not sure what happened to him, but I believe he went away and realized I've been justifying myself. He took the barium meal and I trust and hope and pray that he fell on the mercy of God and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The next story is a rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. So this man was trusting in his, I guess, maybe family background or his own cleverness. Maybe he was a self-made a wealthy man, but he thought there was some value in himself, um, perhaps because he was rich. And it says in verse 16, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. He was saying to him, Let's Let's not just say I'm good. Let's not just say you're good. I know you think you're good. Jesus could see into his heart, but he said, let's really look. What is good? Only God is good. God is perfect. And he said, have you kept the commandments? 
So the man said to him, well, which commandments? He said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Now this man still thought he was healthy. He took the berry meal, but he chose not to look at the x-ray machine that was saying there's a glaring problem. If you don't deal with the sickness, it will kill you. That's the purpose of the law to make us say, I need, I need medicine. I need help. The man still thought he was righteous. Can you imagine? I mean, basically what it comes down to is saying, I'm not going to look too closely at these commands. Jesus has already said to him, only God is good. That's your standard that you must compare yourself to. And then he lists all these commandments and he's saying, have you never lied? Have you, have you loved people correctly? Have you never um, dishonored your parents? All these different commands. If we really look at them, we have to say, whoa, the burial meal is showing a problem. But this man was still defiant. And so Jesus just pressed in on one of the issues that he saw in his in his heart he was trying to show him you're not as good as you think you are not because he doesn't love him but because he wants him to realize i'm sick and i need healing isn't it interesting that jesus as god's representative will never enforce healing on us until we ask him for it jesus could have healed him but God respects your will and mine he he values you so highly and your your ability to choose that he says I'm asking you to ask me for the medicine you know in Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 God says I set before you life and death blessing and cursing choose life that it may go well for you and your children God even tells us the right choice to make he says there's these options and this is the right option. Please choose it. But he will not force us. Friend, brother or sister, can I ask you, have you gone to Christ and asked for the medicine? Or do you think that you may be good enough in yourself? Let's read on. The young man said, all these things I've kept since my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus was saying, it's not the letter of the law and it's not just how good we are in ourselves. Look in your heart. Look, there's a problem there. You are, you're making an idol of your wealth. You're putting it above God. The first command says, you shall have no other gods before me. And he'd broken that by putting money in front of God and so the barium meal comes along Jesus says I'm showing you this so that you will fall on my grace and mercy the third one I, I just want to mention briefly is the older brother Jesus told this parable of the prodigal son to the Pharisees because they thought they were religious enough so the story is of two brothers one goes away and he's a sinner and a rebellious man but then he comes back and is father forgives him and, and throws a massive party accepts him back puts a robe on him kills the fatted calf they have a wonderful time but the older brother is angry and we're told in luke chapter 15 verse 28 but the older brother was angry and would not go in therefore his father came out and pleaded with him so he answered and said to his father 
Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. The father was pleading with him to realize it's the kindness of the father. It's a love relationship. It's a son and father where we sit together on the couch. We talk together. The cupboards open. The fridges open. It's not an employee employer relationship. It's not a lawyer relationship where I need to justify myself. It's not that I'm good enough. It's not an employee where I have to earn it and be good enough. It's a son with the father. But the older son thought it was an employee relationship. He said, I've been serving you all these years. I never once broke one of your commandments. He still thought that he'd complied with everything. And unfortunately, he wouldn't go into the party. So the younger son who realized that he'd blown it, he came back and he fell on his father's mercy. He said, Father, I don't deserve to be your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. I've, I've messed up. I've sinned against heaven and against you. Please forgive me. He fell on mercy and he received it. Isn't that amazing? There's one last picture I want to just show you. And that's of a sinful woman. And it's in Luke chapter 7. And verse 36, it says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with, her, with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Interesting. The Pharisee invites Jesus to his house. He, he, he wants Jesus in his life, but he thinks he's good enough and he thinks other people are sinners. He thinks this woman is a sinner. And so Jesus should know that uh, she doesn't deserve to come close to him or to touch him. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me which of them will love him more. He's saying, you are a debtor just like she is. You think you don't owe me anything, but actually you do owe me something. And because you're a debtor, you should be grateful. She's grateful, but you're not. Simon said, the one who forgave more. He said, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And two verses later, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this woman, by worldly standards, by righteousness standards of our own judgment, should not be forgiven. 
She's sinned consistently, continually. She's broken God's laws and human laws. She has not kept all the rituals. We already read earlier that the Pharisees would fast and, and give tithes regularly. They were, they were outwardly very good people. But the only difference, please hear this, my friend, is that the woman realized that she had a need. And sometimes when we are in more sin, like the younger prodigal son, when we have more sin in our lives, we are able to realize our need a little bit easier. It's almost like the burial meal isn't necessary. We know we're sick because we've sinned so much. And there are many people, most of the people Jesus dealt with came to him and they realized their need. There was a blind man who said, have mercy on me, son of David. There were so many people, the, the woman with the issue of blood, so many people came to him realizing their need and he forgave them. There was a woman who was caught in adultery. He said, who condemns you? And they'd all left. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus accepted a person who realized they had a need. It's almost like if you go to the doctor and you say, please help me. It doesn't matter how small our request is. As long as we say, yes, please help. He floods in with help. But if I say I don't need help, if I say that I'm good enough, if I think that for whatever reason I've complied with enough rules, then Jesus says, okay, I'm going to have to hit you with the barium meal. I'm going to have to show you that there's actually a problem in your life. Have you kept all these commands? Have you really loved your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Have you given money away? Uh, you know, how, how have you dealt with all these commandments of the law, not just trying to wheedle out of them, but genuinely on the inside? Friend, brother or sister, can I ask you today? And I'm asking myself this question. We need to reevaluate. You know, the, the picture of the prodigal son shows us that we can start off as sons because that the older son started off as a little boy in his daddy's house. We can start off with the right relationship with God. We can start off saying, God, I need you. I'm trusting in your grace. But after being a Christian for several years, after leading a Bible study, after studying the Bible and giving away money, we may get to the place where we think, I am now good enough. I don't need mercy anymore. I've actually achieved a certain level of goodness. And I want to say to you that we need to come back to that place of grace. Let me just close by briefly telling you the story of the Galatian church. I'm not going to read all the verses, but Paul writes to the Galatian church. He says, you started well. Who cut in on you and stopped you from obeying the truth? You started in the spirit. Why are you now trying to be made perfect in the flesh? People had come to the Galatians. They'd started just by saying, thank you for your grace, Lord. But then people had come and said, if you're good enough, if you keep all these Old Testament rules and you circumcised and you, you obey these feasts, then you will be acceptable to God. And they'd taken on all these rules and they thought they needed to be good enough to please God instead of just receiving the medicine of God's grace. And in Galatians 5, Paul says to them, if you try to be justified by the law, Christ will profit you nothing. You've fallen away from grace. Um, it, it's a terrible indictment, but he says it's possible for us to start off as sons, but somehow in the process we get proud, maybe like a lawyer, maybe like a rich man, 
maybe like an older son or somebody who's been in church for long enough and we start to get hard-hearted and we think we're good enough. And, and Paul says there's a danger. You can be alienated from Christ. You can have fallen away from grace. You can lose all the benefit of all these wonderful things that Christ has done for you. And so I'm just going to pray for us right now. First of all, I'm going to pray for you if you have never made this commitment to Jesus. Perhaps you thought it was about being good and going to church and obeying a whole lot of rituals and, and ceremonial things. And Jesus says, no, there's medicine and it's just the free gift of God. Just receive it right now. I'm going to pray for you that you would receive that. So just pray with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. That is enough healing and medicine and forgiveness to make me clean and pure. Please forgive me now. I believe in you. I receive your gift of life and I thank you for it in Jesus name. Friend, if you've prayed that prayer, the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You've called out for the medicine and God says, I definitely will heal you and bless you. And you've been made a new creation today. And I want to just pray for those of us who are perhaps the older brother. Maybe you've been in church for a long time and now you think maybe you're good enough. You think you've deserved things and you're finding that there's a dryness and a lack of celebration and joy in your Christian life. And it may be that you've wandered out of this joy and wonder of grace into what the Bible calls a legalistic mindset. And so I'm going to pray for us now. Father God, please forgive us. We want to come again and realize no matter how good we are, we need your grace. Forgive us for thinking we were good enough. Lord, we don't want to rely on our own ability and our own strength. Please take us back as brand new baby Christians again, even if we've been Christians for a long time. Restore to us the joy of our salvation, Lord. Bring us back to our first love. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, I pray God blesses you today and that you find that first love again. God bless. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.